Welcome to NHL at the Rink, our weekly podcast covering all the stories, big and small, in the National Hockey League, all 31 teams. I'm Dan Rosen, your host, NHL.com senior writer. And the regular season is here. Finally, no more preseason games. Four games on the schedule Wednesday, including the banner raising in St. Louis. Eight more on Thursday, and then on Friday, you got more games in the Global Series game in Prague between the Blackhawks and the Flyers. For this show, though, Lots to talk about. A lot of blue on the big show today. Got my NHL.com colleague and Toronto's own Mike Zeisberger to talk about the blue and white Toronto Maple Leafs. We have NBC analyst and former goalie Brian Boucher, who will be in St. Louis covering the Blues and the Branner raising there. And we also have Conn Smythe Trophy winner and Blues center Ryan O'Reilly. So like I said, a lot of blue on the show. But first, let's get to the three things that have caught my attention. Number one. Jordan Stahl named captain of the Carolina Hurricanes. You know what? This tells me two things. The first is that the Hurricanes value Stahl and everything that he does as well as they should. The second is that it doesn't look like Justin Williams is coming back anytime soon. I don't think that Carolina would have named Stahl the captain if they had an inkling that Justin Williams, who was the captain, was coming back. He's still an unrestricted free agent. He's contemplating retirement. Stahl, though, is the ideal fit for the captaincy. I remember talking to Sebastian Ajo in August at the NHL's player media tour in Stockholm, and he told me that he thinks Stahl is one of the most underrated players in the league, and his quote was, look at him play. He's a beast. It's pretty easy to play with him. You don't have to worry about defense at all. Good choice for the captain. Number two, and I got a story posted on NHL.com about the new rule changes going into effect this season, and we'll touch on them with Brian Boucher when we talk to him, but the most notable of which I think is the punitive nature associated with the failed coaches' challenges. Now it's a minor penalty for any failed challenge and a double minor for any failed subsequent challenge. I love this. Love it. Less challenges, better. If you're going to do it, if you're a coach, you absolutely have to think you are going to be right because if not, you're putting your team on the penalty kill. The interesting one with the challenges to me is going to be the goalie interference. We saw last season 172 challenges for goalie interference. 127 were upheld. That's 127 penalties now. I think there's going to be a lot less goalie interference challenges because a lot of times it's a 50-50 call. And number three, we're running our trophy trackers on NHL.com this week. A little bit of fun. We always do this. We run them throughout the season. The interesting one that caught my attention was the Jack Adams Award. Joel Quenville, the new coach of the Florida Panthers, got 14 out of 20 first place votes. I think that number is high. I like Quenville. I think he leads the Panthers to the playoffs. But my vote went to John Hines of the New Jersey Devils. They finished 26 points out of a playoff spot last season, made some major upgrades, and I think they make the playoffs this season. If they do, I think John Hines is going to put all the pieces together, and he wins it. Full disclosure, by the way, Kale McCarr is my choice for the Calder Trophy. I've got Victor Hedman winning the Norris Trophy, Sergei Bobrovsky winning the Vezina, the Panthers goalie, which, by the way, is a reason why I don't think Quenville wins it. You know, the goalie is going to do a lot there. And Austin Matthews winning the Hart Trophy ahead of Nathan McKinnon. It's going to be fun. We'll follow that all season long. All those trophy trackers brings out great debate. All right, let's get to our first guest. He's leaving for St. Louis right after he does this interview. Brian Boucher, NBC. He'll be between the benches. Blues, Caps, at Enterprise Center on Wednesday night. First Wednesday night hockey game for NBCSN. Brian, thanks a lot for doing this. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Dan. Excited for the new season. 
Absolutely. Let's get to right where you're headed, St. Louis. And I remember we talked last year. We were talking about the Conn Smythe Trophy. And you didn't like Jordan Bennington's chances. And you were right. Ryan O'Reilly got it. I wonder, though, where you are right now with Jordan Bennington. Is he... Has he proven it to you? He won the Stanley Cup, but has he proven enough to you, or do you think he is still maybe their biggest question mark, maybe a prove-it-again scenario? I think there's definitely a prove-it-again scenario uh, for him. I mean, uh, only half a season played in the regular season, and, you know, I look, I put a lot of weight in winning a Stanley Cup. I don't, I don't want to discredit, um, you know, what he accomplished. So, you know, I certainly don't want to disrespect him in that regard because it's not an easy thing to do to win, to win a Cup. But the consistency that's needed uh, night after night to be a starter in the NHL and play, you know, 60 games uh, and give your team a chance to win nine out of 10 starts, uh, that's something that's really difficult. And that's something that I think uh, is a question mark for me. I know that he can play big games. I saw it last year in the playoffs. He was, as the series wore on against Boston, he got better and better when the moments got bigger and bigger. Uh, so that's not a question for me. I think the two-year contract is fair on both sides. I think he, he earned what he got as far as uh, the, the salary is concerned. But I still think there's an element of, hey, let's see it some more. And if we see it some more, then there's a chance to lock in long-term and, maybe, and, and for a bigger number. I do think it's a question mark. I, I think yeah. there's no doubt that there's going to be some form of a hangover for this club. It's awfully difficult to uh, recreate that magic that you had you know, from January, February, March, and on uh, to do that on October 2nd. So, um, you know, teams are going to be gunning for them, and I think teams are going to be trying to figure out a way to solve Jordan Bennington. The question for me will be, can he get to his game that he had down the stretch as quickly as possible? If he does that, I think the question marks will go away. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about the hangover, but my question is, do you think Craig Berube lets that, happen I don't know if a coach cannot let it happen but he seems to be the guy that has the pulse of this team right away and he's also a guy that you know he he doesn't let things fester he's very honest and open what do you think about Baruby in terms of the hangover effect and how his impact will be in terms of maybe not letting it happen well I think he's going to do his best to try and not let it happen but I think when I talk about the hangover I just think about trying to recreate that magic that energy um, you know, it's easy to get yourself jacked up to play when it's playoff time and it's April. Uh, that's what you play 82 games for to get to that moment. So if you're not ready to play in that situation, as far as your emotions are con- concerned, uh, you don't belong playing in the National Hockey League. Now, the bigger question is, can you recreate that energy, that emotion, um, that passion on October 2nd. I think game one is not hard to do because it's you know, Stanley Cup banner raising. But as we start to get into the season, now you get into November, it can be, it can be hard. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, it, it's a difficult thing to do. And the teams that have the veteran leadership and the guys that have been there before and know how to uh, approach it professionally, those are the teams that seem to be consistent year after year. I think Barubi's going to do a very good job of trying to not let these guys get there. I think they've got very good leadership in that room and guys like Petrangelo, uh, guys like O'Reilly, uh, Braden Shen, even to that degree. I think David Perron's a guy that's grown up a lot, uh, you know, and, and Pareko's becoming a leader as well. So these guys, I think they've got what it takes to not, you know, fall too far. And I think the motivation for them, no question, is that the Central Division is a very tough yeah. division. Loaded. They know that they can't come. Yeah, it's loaded. They know they can't come in 
uh, you know, just thinking teams are going to lay down for them. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. It's not an easy thing to defend, as we've seen in, in the current NHL. Um, but it uh, should be a lot of fun when that puck drops tomorrow night to see how the Blues fare. Oh, no no question about it. I wanted to bounce around a little bit with you. You see Rod Brindamore getting feisty on the bench with Tom Wilson the other night? You know, uh, yeah. yeah. Roddy can handle himself, no doubt about that. But is that something you saw when you played, when you were sitting on the bench as a backup? You know, What's your take on that when you see a coach kind of getting fired up with a player on the ice? I didn't see it very often. Um I, the only time I did see an exchange between a player and a coach, I was in San Jose. Tim Hunter was getting into it with uh, Steve Ott. Um, so, you know, but I think Steve Ott, you know, he has the, you know, he's the <laughs> type of guy that brings it upon himself. He always had a few words for everybody that was sitting on the opposing bench. And even if the coaches were behind there, he'd have some words for them as well. But it's not something that I, I'd really ever seen until that one time. You don't hear it too often. Um, I'm not sure what precipitated that uh, between Tim Hunter and Steve Ott, but and I'm not really sure what what exactly uh, Brendan Moore and Tom Wilson uh, were talking about. So, you know, look, I mean, maybe it's a it's an acute event that causes some some somebody to say something, but that's not something that you see very often. Yeah. Something else you don't see very often. We saw it, though, with Evander Kane and the linesman, Keel Murchison. Now, as we're recording this, we don't know. Uh, the NHL hadn't ruled on anything with Evander Kane yet from you know an abusive official's standpoint. But let's talk bigger picture here. The relationship between players and the officials. Describe what that is like, especially when, and I'm sure you've had this when you were playing, You the, the official made a call you disagreed with or did something you didn't like you know how how difficult is it to control your emotions in that standpoint we we just recently saw it with the banner Kane, so it becomes a buzzworthy topic yeah uh i think by and large dan i think guys have good relationships with the officials uh whether it be linesmen or referees um you know the linesmen are, are, are the guys that are always in the mix getting in the middle of uh you know scrums and and stuff like that. Typically, they can be the voice of uh, reason sometimes in, in situations like that. You can see them sometimes telling a guy, "It's okay, it's okay." You know, you, you know, let's get out of here. And you know, so I think there's a, a good relationship uh, between the officials and players. But sometimes your emotions get the best of you. And, and when I look at that clip with Vander Kane, you know, the the slash. You know, I think there's no doubt that that was intended for Derek England. I don't think that was intended for for Murchison. So that, that to me, I'll give him a pass on that one. I think when he's getting up from being taken down by the official, whether or not he, you know, blew, you know, hit a, hit a rut in the ice and fell down or however it happened, you still can't, you still can't shove a referee. You know, there's a line that you just can't cross. I mean, you can tell him, you know, to, you know, you can tell him to back away or whatever you want to say to him or, Hey, you know, Stop it! You know what I mean? Or, you know, if you want to curse at him or whatever, and, and that, that goes back and forth. Guys are cursing at one another all the time between officials and players, and guys don't take it personally. But you, you can't shove a referee. You can't hit a referee. And I think that's the one that, for me, uh, I think is going to you know get some some looking at. Because I'll give him a pass on the slash. I really do feel like that was intended for England. I think Murchison just happened to be in the way. But the shove to me is the one that I yeah. I got to think something's going to happen from him. I mean, you, you got to. You can't allow a player to to be shoving an official, uh, even if he is frustrated. Well, it's clearly stated in the rule book, so we'll we'll see 
what comes down from that. There's other things that are clearly stated in the rule book too. Now some rule changes this season and uh, specifically the coaches challenge, Brian, I wanted to ask you about this because now there's a, I mentioned at the top of the podcast here, the punitive nature of the coaches challenge, a failed challenge being a minor penalty for any failed coaches challenge and a double minor for any subsequent failed uh, challenge. What do you think about that punitive nature and what the impact will be? I like it. I like it. And I hope what it leads to is um, less challenges. You and me both. <laughs> because I think, yeah. I think, you know, from a selfish standpoint on the broadcast, you know, it, it can be a difficult call. I mean, you know, here we are, we get it in real time and we have to make a determination on it. We have to give an opinion and state as to why we feel uh, we have that opinion. And sometimes we're wrong. And, is particularly with goaltender interference. I mean, sometimes I see it a certain way, and and I and I got and I get it wrong. So and that's going to be the hardest look, one, I mean, right? It yeah. is. It's a really it's a hard one. I mean, sometimes you know you can convince yourself uh, one way or the other, and and if you know, look, if you're looking to to challenge and and turn that goal the other way, if you're not so sure and you've already had a a, a two minute minor called against you, and now it's a double minor, that's going to make you think twice. I mean, you better be as close to 100 percent as possible before you make that challenge. And I think what we're going to see is less and, you know, less challenges and coaches certainly, uh, you know, making sure that they're as close to 100% before they do it, because it's, you know, four minute power play that can change, uh, that can change the tide in a hockey game. So I like it. And I like the fact that they've added the third challenge in there where any plays that are missing the offensive zone, you know, the, the hand passer pucks off the net. I think that's common sense. That's something that I, that I'm happy to see. And I think in cases like that, you know, when you see it on the video, I think it'll, those are the challenges that you think you, you know will be 100% turned the other way and they'll be less and less grayer as opposed to the goaltender interference. Absolutely. So the other thing that was obviously a big topic of conversation all, all off season is the, the restricted free agents. They're, they're signed now, mm-hmm. but, but how does not having a training camp impact Patrick Line and Kyle Connor with Winnipeg, Miko Rantanen, with Colorado, especially at the at the start of the season, what's the real difference between not having a camp and having a camp? You know, I'm on I'm on the fence on this one, Dan. I, I don't know if missing camp in today's NHL is going to be that big a deal. Camp is shortened as it is compared to uh, you know say 10, 15 years ago. Uh, so there's less of that. The training that these guys are doing in the off season is by far and away better than it's ever been. They're on the ice a lot more than they ever have been in the off season. There used to be a time when guys, when the season ended, they put their gear away for about a month and a half, two months, and they only started skating in the month of August. The reality is these guys now are working with skill coaches. Uh, they're on the ice uh, far before that. Sometimes the guys are getting on the ice already in July. So I don't think it's going to have that much of a profound effect. Now, if you ask me if they missed like what, Nylander missed last year going into November, December. That's a different story. Now you're missing real games, uh, that compete level, that, you know, guys leaning on you, the, you know, the travel schedule, all stuff that, you know, it, it takes time to get up to speed with that. But missing a training camp, I'm not going to put too much stock in it. I think these guys are world-class athletes. I think they'll be fine. Maybe timing will be an issue slightly at the beginning, but give it a game or two, and I think these guys are going to be right back where they – where they expect to be. Yeah, I think maybe if they had a preseason game, it would have mattered. But that helps. But that's what I mean. Maybe maybe one game. But I'm not. I don't think we're going to see a. You know, I don't think you're going to see groin injuries. I don't think you're going to see you know, these guys lose their hands for a long stretch of time. 
these guys have been on the ice. They've been working at it. They're pros. They knew it was coming. They knew that once one guy signed that probably the chips were going to start start to fall and they were probably ready for it. And I'm glad that, you know, we don't have to talk about that stuff anymore, that they're all signed. And, you know, look, I think teams learn, learn their you know, lesson learn their lesson through Toronto last year, too. If you've got cap issues, you know, the, the cap hit is, is much greater once, uh, once the season starts. So uh, each team, that would be, you know, uh, that'd be a, uh, an interest for each particular team, but uh, to see where they are in the cap situation, but uh, best that they're, that they're playing and, uh, and contributing to their clubs. All right. I told you when we were setting this up that I wanted to do some quick hitters with you. So let's make, let's make these fast, quick hitters. What team will be Bush's big surprise this season? I, I like Colorado. I, I think um, they're a team that's on the rise. Uh, they're fast. They're dynamic. Maybe the only question mark they have in goal is in goal. Whether or not Grubauer can be a guy that can carry the load for a full season, but I think they're a team that's uh, that's going to be on the rise in the Western Conference. Uh, I'm looking forward to see how they can do this year. All right, what team will be Bush's big disappointment this season? The negative question. Yeah, I, two of them. Uh, I'm a little concerned about Winnipeg. You know, losing guys like Truba, Myers, and now Bufflin is a question mark. You can add Sherratt in there. You can add Hayes, Tanev, an energy guy that's going. I just feel like there's too much going on over there. Uh, I feel like their window's closing. And then the other one for me is Columbus. The loss of Panarin and Bobrovsky, that is that is a big, big, big-time uh, two holes to fill. We can add Duchesne in there. I know he's a late-season acquisition, but I think Columbus is going to be uh, in for it uh, tough this year, especially considering the excitement that they had around that club in City last year. Jack Hughes or Capo Caco, Brian, who has a bigger impact at the start of the season for their team? Um, I think it's always easier to be uh, a winger sometimes. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that might play into Kako having a better, you know, a better start to all of it. And I think there's a lot of hype around Jack Hughes. But, man, Hughes is smooth. He's got all the skills. I feel like it's a neck-and-neck neck race, to be honest. I, these guys are both going to have uh, lasting impacts on their clubs early on this year. I think both of these guys are going to be above 50 points in their rookie season. Okay. Uh, who do you like in the East right now? In the East, I think I like Tampa. Uh, you know, that's the team that I think, you know, they, they got a lot to, to prove. I mean, after Definitely. the disappointment in the playoffs last year, I think it's Tampa in the East. Um, West? There are other teams that can do it, but I think Tampa's a team in the East. And the West, um, where the Central Division is the one that stands out to me. Uh, I, I don't want to disrespect St. Louis. They did it last year, but I feel like Dallas made some quality moves. I talked about Colorado. Um you know, those are the teams to me. And I also think Calgary could be could be a team if their goaltending is there. But I think for the most part I want my my gut tells me Colorado is gonna be the team in the West that I that I like in the end. A lot of people are very high on them. I like Vegas. I like Tampa in the East, Vegas in the West. Vegas has a lot to prove uh, as well, right? With the yeah. way it all went down last year. There's no doubt they have a bitter taste in their mouth. All right, man. This was great. Thank you for doing this. Go catch your plane, all right? All right, Dan. Thanks for having me. Bush is a pro's pro, there's no question about it. And I got to tell you, one of the things that I completely agree with him on is the stuff about training camp with the restricted free agents, guys like Line A and Connor and Rantanen and how they didn't have a training camp. It's different now. These guys come in great shape. Maybe if they got one preseason game, it would benefit them. But I don't think, and, and neither does Bush, that it's going to be a big deal that they miss training camp. Years ago, no question about it. But What's going to be interesting, and he touched on this too, is ramping it back up 
for a team like the St. Louis Blues after winning. And that's what we talked about with our next guest. We caught up with Ryan O'Reilly in Chicago early last month at the Player Media Tour. And this is before training camp. But he touched on that topic and a number of other things about ramping it back up. So here's the interview with Ryan O'Reilly. Stanley Cup champion, Conn Smythe trophy winner. That ever get old to hear? Uh, I still can't really believe it. It's just like, it's crazy how things end up working out. But uh, yeah, it's weird. The summer's wrapping up and it's like trying to ramp up again. And, you know, the best part of the whole whole thing was playing the game. So I'm excited to get back doing that. But uh, it's definitely a nice sound. You got got to ramp up the training camp. So different than what you were doing a few months ago. So, I mean, guys have been through this before and getting that, you know, ramp up back up sometimes can be difficult. What what do you think this is going to be like? How do you get yourself back in that mindset of training camp of starting over? Yeah. um, Kind of what I touched on before with kind of like that excitement to kind of play the games is there, which, which is good. But the other thing is, yeah, with, with the whole summer and trying to get the the right amount of rest and recovery. um, I know that the intensity of, the training has kind of gone up, but the length has gone down. I think that's something that I kind of adopted throughout this whole the summer. And um, it's finding a way to kind of get out there and kind of get what you need and then kind of get off, but still being like super intense with it. And, and yeah, training camp's obviously going to be exciting, but uh, yeah, it's a great final tune-up before, before we get going. When did the excitement to play a game again come back? Because I can imagine once you guys won, you weren't thinking about playing another hockey game. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, not for a while there. I think uh, after my kind of cup day, the the following week, and I had it on the 25th, and then um, I think probably once kind of August came around, it was kind of that feeling, you know, like you put the cup in in the in the case, and it's like a little sad. You're like, okay, this is <laughs> this is this is coming to an end. Like, you know, it's it's time to ramp up. And that next week, it's again, it's like, all right, it, time to go do it again. So you start get back in the training and, and getting on the ice and um, it's good. You know, I'm, I'm excited to get going again. You think anything could ever be like what you guys did last year, though? It's great. It's it's one amazing story. It, just from the start of the year and, and being in this couple dark places there early and thinking, like, what's going to happen? For myself, it was like, geez, like, what? Like, felt like a cancer, you know? Was, well, yeah, I <laughs> know. We talked about that during the playoffs. Was, uh, you had that. You mentioned it. You had that feeling like, is it me? Yeah. Right? Is it me? Because it didn't happen in Colorado. Obviously, the Buffalo situation was tough. Yeah. And now you're in last place January 3rd. Yeah, it's uh, it was nuts. But throughout that whole thing and all, all the bad, like, the, the group that we had, like, never, like, everyone kind of stayed on the same page. Like, no one kind of drifted away. Guys stayed together and guys kept working. Like, we, we kind of, ha- like, knew we've, we'd see our best game or we'd see us play really good hockey and we just we weren't consistent with it so we knew what it could look like and then finally like you know we started we threw a few together and then it just started rolling and like Bennington came in and just brought some confidence to us and it was just amazing things just kind of went on from there it was just a a whirlwind but it was so much fun it was one of the you know craziest obviously seasons I've ever experienced let's talk about your cup day and uh Bringing it home to the to the small communities in Ontario where you lived, Seaforth and, and Clinton, and being able to celebrate it with Granny O'Reilly, who everybody seemed to get to know during the playoffs, even if they didn't get to know her, you know. So what what, what was that experience like? Yeah, that, yeah, she's incredible. Um, yeah, it was amazing to, to bring the cup to her. Obviously, she's one of their biggest supporters, and um, 
yeah, to, you know, she was the first person got the cup out of the car and brought right to her. And she was just so thrilled. Uh, it was amazing to see. And then, you know, we, Seaboro was a very small town, but we went down the main street in a fire truck and we're up in the buckets. And uh, she was right there beside us doing a little wave and, and just taking it all in. It was, <laughs> it was awesome. But uh, to be back in the community and, you know, and, and see the people that, you know, I grew up with and, and being able to share it with them, you know, because I probably I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for that community and, the, and those people. So um, just get back there and to see everyone and know that, you know, we, we won this thing together and and uh, to see the excitement in them was was an awesome thing. And, and you're seeing you're probably seeing people that, that you practiced with, played with, you know, grew up with that, that are around. And here you are coming back as the conquering hero, you know, that everybody <laughs> wants to see you in the cup. Did it feel like you were just going home, or was it like, I mean, got to be totally different, right? It was different. It got, got, yeah. got well, famous up there very quick. Very, very quickly, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, everyone always always supported me there and, and everything, but it, it's crazy what the cup does. It's, it's you know, it's it's tough to describe what people are like around it. Like, it just, they see it, and they go, yeah. like, nuts. So, like, to be up there when people know the cup's in town and trying to get pictures with it, like, it's overwhelming at times, but... It just, um, yeah, it's such a, a cool thing and such a great thing to share with people there. And as Canadians, it's, you know, the holy grail. Before winning it, what was your previous experience even being around the Stanley Cup? Um, I think I saw it at the Hockey Hall of Fame when I was real young. And I, I remember I remember when Boyd Devro, he's from Seaforth, Ontario. I remember when he won it recently and we were young. Um, I remember see, uh, hearing that he was coming to town. He did a little parade in Seaforth and... Um, Unfortunately, yeah, I remember, I remember my brother. I think it was my brother that said it, but he's like, uh, my mom. Mom said, "Hey, should we go in and see the Stanley Cup?" And um, my brother, my brother said, "No, we'll we'll see it when we win it, kind of thing." Really? So we didn't even go in and see it. So it was kind of one of those things that it's funny now looking back on That's that. Amazing. Uh, yeah, we said, and finally, was able Who to does do that? it. Like, yeah, how old were you? <laughs> I don't know. I was, I think, fairly young, but uh, my brother was probably like yeah, 12 or so. And, and he's I, saying, I would have been I'm not like, going to go see the Stanley Cup. So what 12-year-old yeah. says he doesn't want to go see the Stanley Cup? He's like, no, I'll see it when I win it. And yeah, it's pretty kind of cool. And he said that. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to see it then. Yeah. What about if you're, now? If you're not going, what I'm about not going. now for your brother? <laughs> he, did, he still didn't touch it. Didn't he touch he it? didn't touch okay. it. He's like, uh, he's, he's like, he's not sure if he won as a player again, but, uh, you know, he's hoping to get into coaching eventually. He's got a career and, in hockey. And yeah, so it's like, you know, he's going to wait till then. And hopefully we'll do it again together. <laughs> but he was around it, at least, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah he was at yeah. least around it, took some pictures with it. Oh, yeah. He was just didn't touch it. Yeah. He was, it was awesome to see him there because he's without him, too. Well, without my whole family, but my brother especially, too. Um, he's a huge influence for me, and, and I wouldn't have done it without him. Describe what he meant, what he did for you. Well, about, like, he was four and a half, five years older than me, and... You know, he first got into hockey. I, like I did everything he did, so right. I, I was like, oh gosh, that's cool. I want to try that, and you know, it was so cool. And he, he was a guy that worked so hard and trained so hard. So I saw that, and I was always right there and just admired him so much. And and we just kind of pushed each other. Once we kind of got a bit older and kind of the same size, we'd have some good battles and and, and push each other. And you know, he'd always let me play with his friends, which was pretty cool. So. I, they take me to town and we play street hockey and, and roller hockey and everything. And me being a lot younger than him, I wasn't as good. So I kind of learned how to play the game through that. Like learned how to hold my own, play, be good defensively and, and such. And you don't really think of it at the time, but obviously it paid off so much for myself and being able to jump levels and, and be comfortable. And he was always uh, 
yeah, we've always just, we trained together for so many years that we just always fed off each other and had a lot of, a lot of good battles. <laughs> Mom and dad weren't too happy with them. We never like fist fought, but we yeah. always like competed hard against each other. And it was just furniture breaking or windows breaking. Oh yeah. Or, a lot yeah. of things. I, I was kind of the, the crazy one. I'd always be throwing my stick and breaking stuff. He kind of, <laughs> he knew how to push like push me, but, uh, yeah, yeah without him, I definitely, I wouldn't be playing. In the NHL, yeah. One of the coolest stories during the Stanley Cup final was the night before Game 7 in Boston when you were just went to a, a guitar shop, a music place to just jam away a little bit to probably just get away from it a little bit, right? And you end up buying a guitar for a kid that was there. Dude, it, why? What led <laughs> you to that? Yeah, well, I was just, um, yeah, I sometimes do it on the road. Like Sometimes I'll travel with like a small little guitar and mess around in my room, but uh, sometimes I'll just go to a guitar store and just see what they have, mess around, kind of keep my fingers moving. And I was playing there for a while, and I was just leaving. Uh, this kid uh, just kind of recognized me, and he just, we started talking, and uh, he used to play hockey, and kind of was a student, and was looking at it like a new guitar and and, and such, and um, just there's another company, Seagull Guitars, um, Canadian company there was one like right there that it's really nice and I have one as well and I just thought it'd be nice to get it for him because he's he's in school and kind of you know I don't can't yeah. can't really afford it so I, I thought I'd help out and he's just a nice kid and I don't know sometimes uh yeah did you exchange information have you chatted with him at all do you know if he's playing it I, I don't I, nothing, <laughs> nothing huh I hope he's playing I hope he didn't sell it or something but <laughs> <laughs> but uh no, he's just a nice kid and sometimes I don't know just you know, nice people need nice things, you know. Music is a big part of your life, too, right? I mean, yeah. you, you play, you've recorded, uh, you've written your own it's stuff. not that good. Yeah, okay. You've <laughs> it's done fun. more than a lot of people, you know. Yeah. Where does that interest come from? Um, I, my dad's very musical. You know, he's he's like a person that can just like, he's got that like Irish, you know, background where he can just sing, you know. And like just no instrument. Sure. Like, I can't do that. He can just sing and he's got a beautiful voice. My uncle was an amazing singer at uh, went to like St. Michael's choir school and, and such. Um, obviously my mom, obviously her family was big into music and she was kind of into the Motown, which was kind of like my first introduction okay. to music. And I love like, for me, like the pinnacle is like Marvin Gaye is like, all right. My, one of the all time greatest. And, um, yeah, so I've, I've always been interested and loved kind of all, uh, all sorts of music. And, um, finally when I actually made the NHL and got a little money, that's when I bought a, a nice guitar and, started learning there and I kind of I loved it it was such a nice escape and to actually be able to you know play songs that I that I hear professionals playing I was just like can, can you do it was, I mean can you 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 could pick it up real fast yeah yeah this is like when I first was learning um I didn't really take lessons but YouTube was kind of just breaking out and people were putting it on there like oh if you want to play this song just it's you know, put your fingers here and that was kind of how I first right. got into it and made it very easy. And now there's so many tools to learn it. But again, I'm not very good. It, it's something that, uh, you know, I just get lost in and can get creative with. But, uh, you know, I definitely want to improve. And, and But you and did that. record a song, right? You wrote a song, didn't you? Oh, yeah. What's yeah, like the name I, of the song? Uh, um, <laughs> well, the I've, one got, I've got a bunch. bunch. I, I must, there I, was one song I, I read that was about going from small town oh, yeah. to the big, big lights, right? Yeah, I was just kind of, uh, you know, being a small town guy, kind of going to... Uh, yeah, into the city and just kind of trying to find your way there. And I don't know, because like where I grew up, the, the small town or something like it's it's a big part of me. Like I love getting out there and just the you know being alone out there or something else. You know, you kind of have to when you're alone with your thoughts. It, it's funny, kind of just you know you work on yourself quite a bit, and, and there's not as many distractions. So it's yeah, it's kind of a song about that and kind of kind of the struggle with it. But uh, 
yeah, it's not uh, it's not going to win any Grammy soon, but uh, <laughs> it's fun for me. It's just a, it's a great escape. I get lost in it, and it's like therapeutic. You know, I get, you know, for me, it's tough to maybe sit and talk about, you know, something that I'm feeling. But if I can get a guitar in front of me, play something, then start singing about something, it's just yeah, I get something out of me, and I feel great after. Are you going to write anything about winning? Um, I've kind of messed around with a few things. Uh, but uh, I'm sure there'll be something. But <laughs> <laughs> you got to record it, put it out, and maybe it'll become the new blues song. <laughs> right? Oh, that'll be awesome. Uh, you think Glory will be back? I don't know. I, I, it was such a cool thing. And like, I, that's what I love about our story is, you know, that song, you know, just was, it, I think brought everyone fans and everyone closer together. And it, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing to mix, you know, music and hockey like that and have kind of an anthem. Um, that ties us all in and uh, yeah I'm not sure if it'll be kind of our song this year or how it'll work but uh, yeah that was just it added to our story of winning for sure perfect we'll end there thanks a lot for doing this man my all pleasure right? guys thank you all very right. much really appreciate Ryan O'Reilly taking some time to sit down and chat with us it's going to be very interesting how the Blues handle this at the start of the season because you know, he talks about ramping it up and getting ready to go and putting this Stanley Cup back in the case and saying, now oh, this is over, it's time to move on. And that's the challenge that teams that win, they played such big games in June, and now they're back playing regular season games, trying to ramp it back up. So it's going to be interesting. Great stuff, though, from Ryan O'Reilly. From time to time, we will do this on the podcast. We did it last week. We'll do it again this week. I get mailbag questions for my weekly mailbag on NHL.com called Over the Boards. Some spill over. Don't get an opportunity to answer all of them. One that caught my attention this week that I didn't get a chance to write about. How long until the Vancouver Canucks are considered a serious contender in your eyes? My answer is I think they're close to being a playoff contender, but they're lacking high-end talent. I love Elias Peterson. I think Brock Besser could score 35 goals if he's healthy. Bo Horvat is hes a better-than-a-depth player. He's really good. Quinn Hughes has a chance to be a number 1D. Not yet, but has a chance to be that. But then the Canucks have a ton of equal parts. And if you ask me, I wonder if they're good enough to fill out the depth scoring behind Pedersen, behind Besser, behind Ho Horvat. It's good depth. JT Miller, Michael Furland, Jay Beagle, Tanner Pearson, Adam Gaudet, Brandon Sutter. But that's a lot of the same player with the same average expectations. Who among them is going to be able to step up and make a bigger impact to change the way teams defend the Canucks? I'm not sure. That's why I'm not ready to say that the Vancouver Canucks are ready to be a serious playoff contender. They need another scorer, another first-line forward. We're going to stay in Canada for our next guest but move across the country to Toronto. You know, they have that small little hockey team there called the Maple Leafs. Never much going on in Toronto, right? Uh, Mike Zeisberg, our next guest. How are you? I'm pretty good. I had to come up for air because obviously that little team that we have little up team. here in Canada. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there were about, uh, uh, I'm going to have to guesstimate maybe 40, 50 reporters in there. Oh, and that's just, that's, just a, that's nothing. That's practice. Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cody Cece was joking. He goes, you know, uh, the former Ottawa senator, he, he, he said, you know, I've seen this many, uh, I played in the Canadian market in Ottawa, so I've seen this many media. And then he, he paused and then he said, in the playoffs. In the Eastern Conference Welcome. Final, probably, right? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Toronto. Welcome to Toronto. Well, look, last week, obviously, there was a story in Toronto. Austin Matthews and the legal hot water he's in for the offseason incident, the disorderly conduct charge. 
in Arizona. I wanted to start there with you guys. The Leafs learned about it last week, too. At the same time, kind of we all did. Kyle Dubas said he learned about it on Twitter. Is this an issue? Is this going to be an issue that lingers, do you think, between Matthews and Dubas, Babcock, and the Leafs? Or is it something that will blow over? Here's 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 what I think. I think to say it blow, blows over, I think what the what their Leafs are going to do is use this as an example. They're trying to change the culture, and I know that's kind of one of these, uh, you know, the modern day words that are thrown around now, yeah. in sports, like changing the culture. It's a process, yada yada yada. But I think what this what they're going to do is show this to their young players as an example that look. It's a, it's, a, it's a kid who made a mistake, but you have to be open about it. You have to address things as soon as possible. And especially in a place like this, you know, I just told you how many reporters were in there uh, just, uh, you know, for a practice the day before the opening game. Stuff's going to come out. You can't hide stuff. And so you have to be open about it. Um, you have to be forthright about it. And I think that, that that's a message that Dubas and, and Babcock are spreading to their players. And, um, you know, in, in terms of the personal relationship between Matthews and, and management, I don't think management was happy about it. But I don't think that they think this is a character trait of this kid. And, uh, you know, I've, I've noticed a lot more humility, and I mean that sincere humility, in Austin Matthews since this happened. So, um, you know what, I mean... This kid has been in the spotlight for so long. He's 22 years old, and that's that. That doesn't mean that we have to forgive him uh, for what he did because, because he made a mistake. No, but we can treat it as learning experiences, right? I mean, that's what. It yes, is. yes, it, it, exactly. So you let the other stuff play, play it out, play out to itself. Um, but uh, in term in terms of the team, I actually think uh, this if. if not that he ever needed incentive to take it, take his game to the next step, but uh, you know, since that happened, and it's only exhibition, but this kid has been very, very hungry. Um, I think he was humbled by this whole thing, and I expect him to have, uh, statistically wise, and in terms of the style of play, the best season that he's ever had. He's my choice for the Hart Trophy. I mean, I I think he's going to have a monster season. Oh well, that just that just put the kibosh on yep. it, didn't it? Yeah, I hope not. I hope I don't have that type of effect on people. Well, you remember Muldoon's curse with the Blackhawks. Now it's Rosen's curse with the Leafs. So All maybe. right, there we go. Well, maybe you have one too because we were texting last night. We were talking about you know coming you coming on the podcast, and you brought up something to me that I thought was quite interesting. You mentioned in a text that the Le- this Leafs team might be the best Leafs team you have ever seen in terms of pure, raw skill. You've seen a lot of Leafs teams. Explain what you mean. Okay, let's let's cut through it. Uh, by seeing a lot of uh, Leafs teams, that's your way or synonym of, of saying that uh, I'm middle-aged, okay? Middle, um, uh, we'll yeah, say middle-aged, sure, okay. You'd be correct in that analysis. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I don't remember much about uh, – I was just a – uh, a wee, wee kid when uh, when they last won the Stanley Cup in '67. So there's only been a handful of, of teams that stand out. So you look at the you know '93, '94 when they when they made the especially the year that they made the conference final, took the Kings to, to seven games. Um, you know they were so close to making the Stanley Cup final, but you know everybody remembers Doug Gilmore and Dave Andrichuk and Wendell Clark, but 
you look at their defense, and it had guys like Sylvain Lefebvre, Jamie McCowan, Todd Gill. We can go down the list. So, you know, there wasn't a real they, – they, they played well as a team, but in terms of raw skill, you look at that set of defensemen, and you're just kind of going, mm, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing that they made it as far as they did with those guys. Then you go – I shouldn't say amazing, but, it, you know, credit to them. But, um, you know, there's not a lot – there wasn't really a, a, a – number one defenseman on that team. Now you flash forward to, uh, you know, the early 2000s uh, where the Maple Leafs had some success under Pat Quinn. Um, you know, when I was talking to Brian McCabe about this the other day, uh, actually at Craft uh, Hockeyville in Bathurst, New Brunswick, he now uh, works for the Florida Panthers. But, you know, they had Brian McCabe and Thomas Caberlin, and those two guys led the defense. But once again, you look past those guys and... Mm, Drop off. You know, it kind of yeah, it kind of fell off from there. Now you look at um, you look at this team. Um, you know, up front, I mean, Nylander and Marner and Matthews, uh, Tavares, even guys like uh, you know, you think about it like Johnson and Kapanen. I mean, there's just there's a lot of raw skill there. Now, um, you know, there was last year too. Plus, they had Cadre. Um but where I look at it, Dan, is is how balanced they are. Um, you know, yeah, they had to get rid of Calgary uh, to get something. But to have Morgan Riley and Tyson Berry be your number one and number two defensemen, I mean, that's, that's, that's as good as a lot of, uh, you know, one-two punches in the league. And when, um, you know, you start, you start thinking when Travis Dermott comes back from injury, your top five will be Barry, in no, no particular order, right. but Barry, uh, Riley, Jake Muzzin, Cody Cece, and Travis Dermott. That's as deep as a defense as I've seen the Leafs have in a long time. Freddie Anderson, uh, you know, for me, is a top ten goaltender in this league. So, you know, they have skill everywhere. And they're also, they're really high on the 19-year-old kid, Rasmus Sandin. Who, Rasmus Sandin, yes. Uh, who could is, stay in that been, top six. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So you look at that, and then you look at a couple of, like two years ago, um, you know, even last year against Boston but in the playoffs, but two years ago where, like, the ageless Ron Hainsey was uh, running on fumes by the end of it. He was getting so much ice time. They are so much better on the back end. They are so much better balanced. And having said that, and, and that's that's why I wanted to preface it, pref, preface it, Dan, by saying the best lead team I've seen in terms of raw skill, because A, it takes more than that to win. We saw that from the St. Louis Blues last year. We've seen it from the Bruins over and over again. But number two, I think Tampa might be a little better this year than they were last year. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I find it, and, you know, Boston is always going to be in the mix. I think Florida is going to be a lot better. So I can come out and say, yeah, this is the best Leaf team I've seen in terms of pure raw talent, and they might not get out of the first round again. Uh, I, th- I think they will, but, you know, uh, I, you, you're going up against, you know, Tampa, Tampa last year um, set, re- set records for the ages or came close to them. That's just the way that uh, you know that 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 it plays out, and I don't think we'll really have an answer until April. All right, so here's the big question: Are they good enough to finish first in the division? Because 
If they do, they may avoid Tampa and Boston yep. in the first round. Is this team good enough to, to, to finish ahead of Tampa, at, at the very least Tampa? I think, I, I think they can. I'm not saying it, it's likely to happen, but I do think they have a, the type of team where they could do it. Um, you know, you don't know when you talk about Tampa if uh, Vasilevsky gets injured. Um, you know, uh, goaltending is such a, an equalizer in this league. Um, so, yeah, I do think they can. Um, my question is, are they mature enough now to understand that that's what they need to do? And it's very interesting that you brought that point up, Dan, because when John Tavares uh, signed with the Maple Leafs on July 1st, 2018, they had his press conference in the Maple Leafs dressing room. And I can still remember Kyle Dubas uh, answering our question. And the one thing he pointed out is when somebody said, what's the goal of this team? And everybody thought, oh, you know, like win Stanley Cup or whatever, which obviously that's, that's what their mantra, that's what they want to do. But Kyle's answer was, we have to win our division or anything else because it's so tough. So management understands it. The message has been conveyed to the players. Now, will they understand that in order to do that, uh, wins in October are just as important as wins in March? Well, that's got to be the coach. That's on the coach, isn't it? Yeah, but if you're around this guy every day, it's not like his intensity uh, drops off right. on, on a daily basis. And, and, you know, there's been a lot of criticism of the coach in this market, and I understand. I mean, they, they've been three and out, um, you know, the last three years, mm-hmm. first round. Uh, you know, three years ago to Washington and then the last two to Boston. Um, although my issue with the Babcock Dodgers is this. Twice you've been to a Game 7 on the road, okay? And especially two years ago, uh, you had the lead going into the third period of Game 7. Last year, you were up three games to two going home to Toronto. At some point, after whatever, when you get that far, you've played like 80-something games, maybe 90-something games in your season. At some point, when it's all on the line, okay, you can't keep looking behind the bench. The player, you know, it's all there for the players. It's all in front of them. Go get it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why when everybody likes to, to blame the coach, I kind of take a breath and say, yeah, there's, there's, even if there's reason for criticism here, which there, which there is, um, at some point, the players have to get over that hurdle. Um, kind of the way that the St. Louis Blues, who weren't given much of a chance going into Game 7 in Boston last year, found a way. At some point, it's up to the players. Players have to play. Absolutely. One last one for you. It's got to make it quick. Uh, they have not yet named a captain at the time we're recording this on Tuesday after practice. Who's the captain if they name one? John Tavares. Easy. You said Simple. you wanted it quick. Yeah, it was very quick. <laughs> but I, I guess he's just the natural choice. Former captain, is that the, the biggest reason you think? The guy, he's going to be there for a while, and he's been a captain. He's done it before because it seems natural if they're going to go that way. Yeah, and, and you know what, Dan? I think that if in, in a lot of the smaller markets, I can understand why you would want – and I'm not saying John's not the best player on this team, but in a lot of those markets, you want your most talented guy to wear the C – put the spotlight on him. He's kind of the face of the franchise. In Toronto and Montreal, I think it's different. 
because, like I said, there was, you know, just by the media throng today, you've got a lot of different responsibilities. Tavares told us the other day, and he's been getting asked about this, you know, for a week now, and he's handled it the way he always handles it, like a pro. And he said, look, I play hockey for a living. What's the big deal about talking (laughs) hockey for 10 minutes uh, after practice? I like it. So he understands it. He's from, he's a Toronto area kid. He understands um, how much you're in a fishbowl. And you know what? He, he embraces it and acts like a professional. And, if, you know, I, I just mentioned a lot of qualities that, uh, especially in a town like this, when the spotlight's always on, that's what you want from your captain. And uh, I, I thought all along that he would be the perfect choice, he and Morgan Riley, one of the two, to uh, wear the seat for the Toronto Maple Leafs. 100% I agree with you. Zyze, great stuff, man. Hockey season's here finally. Enjoy it. Thanks a lot for doing this. Always a pleasure. Uh, give me a ring anytime, and we'll see you down the road, my friend. Always great to catch up with Zyze. This man knows the Toronto Maple Leafs inside and out. You can follow him on Twitter, at Zeisberger. And I do find it fascinating with the Leafs this season. I do feel that they have to win the division to feel good about their chances to get out of the first round. If not... They're going to face the same questions, especially if they face the Boston Bruins again or the Tampa Bay Lightning. So win the division. He's right. The players have to get it done. You can't always look to the coach. That'll do it for this episode of NHL at the Rink. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And certainly subscribe to the other podcasts on the NHL Podcast Network. You've got Fantasy on Ice with Pete Jensen and Rob Reese, an executive suite with Deb Placey. A bunch of episodes just dropped. She's got Kyle Dubas of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Jim Nill of the Dallas Stars, Doug Armstrong of the St. Louis Blues. The regular season is here. It's about to get underway. Happy hockey, everyone. 